What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. What's up, everyone? We'll get right to the episode, but first, some quick housekeeping. We love having great advertisers support our show, but in order to continue doing that, we need your help. So please go to podsurvey.com slash smart and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us to get to know you a little better. That way we can show advertisers just how great our listeners are. Even if you've taken our show's podcast listener survey before, the current one is new and different, so I'd really love for you to take it all over again. Plus, once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash smart. Thanks for your help and on to the episode. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Thanks so much for joining us today as we bring you another episode. Of course, we are bringing you an episode that expands your mind, but also hopefully expands your skill set. Our goal is to provide you with information, bring experts to you, let you incorporate them into your life to get more of what you want and to really just... Enjoy your time here and get the most out of it as you can. And I really think today's episode specifically helps us achieve that goal. This week on the show, we have Andy Malinsky. Andy is a professor of organizational behavior at Brandeis University's International Business School, and he specializes in behavior change and cross-cultural interaction in business settings. We're going to be discussing his brand new book called Reach a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge, and build confidence. So if you need help on any of those three things, and I got a feeling all of us do, this is the episode and the book for you. Here are some examples. 
Do you hate delivering bad news? Do you hate public speaking? Do you dislike networking or just the thought of networking? Can you be assertive and speak your mind? If any of these things make you just a bit uneasy or downright fearful, Andy is going to provide you with some skills and tools to not only help manage it, but really break through because oftentimes the most difficult things are the things that happen right before those breakthroughs into what we really want and who we're really aspiring to become. We're going to be discussing the five key challenges Andy believes underlie our avoidance tendencies. These are authenticity, competence, resentment, likability, and morality. And believe me, Andy is the guy to bring it to you. This is Smart People Podcast, after all, and Andy holds a BA in International Relations. He's a magna cum laude from Brown University. He has an MA in International Business from Columbia and an MA in Psychology and a PhD in Organizational Behavior from Harvard. I don't know. That's a lot of degrees. This guy is an academic who has brought it into the real world, considering his work is used in companies around the world, including Boeing, AIG, the Air Force, and the Clinton Foundation among others. So I think you're all excited to hear what Andy has to say. I want to ask you one favor. This is something unique, and it comes from one of my favorite podcasts these days. It's called How I Built This. It's an NPR podcast. And they're doing this hashtag, which for those of you that don't know is on Twitter. And they're asking folks to go on Twitter and hashtag tripod, T-R-Y-P-O-D, and their favorite podcast. So if you like what you hear, if you like being part of Smart People Podcast, a really great way to help spread the word and piggyback off of the success of NPR and really get some some buzz going is head on over to Twitter and just hashtag T-R-Y-P-O-D and then mention Smart People Podcast. We are at Smart People Pod, maybe link to the website or whatever it is. Just let people know you're enjoying our show and any others that you listen to. We want the whole podcasting community to continue to rise and become mainstream. Thank you for listening. Head on over to Twitter, hashtag T-R-Y-P-O-D, and let the world know you are now tuning in to Smart People Podcast. Enjoy. Well, Andy, first, I want to say thank you so much for taking time and uh, coming on Smart People Podcast. Chris, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You know, I love, I'm really excited to talk to you. I love talking with authors and academics who are bringing kind of the the classroom ideas and the research, but putting it into the real world and even more so into things that I know I face and we all face. I, I want to get into first, tell us a little bit about your background and then what got you to writing this brand new book. Sure. So I'm a professor of organizational behavior and psychology at Brandeis University. And so I, I have I have the background of both being a, psych, a psychologist and also organizational behavior expert. And it's funny because this book, this book, so this book reach is about acting outside your comfort zone. Uh, why, why it's so hard, uh, how we avoid it. And then of course, how to be more successful at it. And, you know, my first book was, um, 
about um, acting outside your cultural comfort zone. So my first book was in 2013. It was called Global Dexterity, about acting outside your cultural comfort zone. Uh, For instance, my PhD dissertation, when I was doing my PhD, I studied uh, for my dissertation, Russian immigrants uh, learning to interview for jobs and learning to network. And for them, it was so much outside their cultural comfort zone, smiling, making eye contact, pitching and promoting themselves. It was such a big challenge for them psychologically. From that point on, I studied and I worked with people stepping outside their cultural comfort zone. I also lived abroad and I worked abroad a couple of times. So that was my original focus. But when that book came out, I got such feedback from people saying, you know, that the ideas in this book are really much more applicable beyond just crossing cultures. You've really hit on something about acting outside your comfort zone, period. And it was interesting that I don't know why I didn't have this epiphany, but for years, I had actually simultaneously been studying that topic as well. So with a colleague of mine from Harvard Business School, um, uh, he was a grad student friend of mine originally, uh, we had been studying um, managers and um, executives uh, firing people and laying them off um, from organizations, like the internal experience of the people who have to do it, uh, stepping outside their comfort zone. We were studying pediatric physicians uh, performing painful procedures on young children and delivering the news to parents. Um, And actually, at that time, when I was doing that, my own child had to have a spinal tap at six days old. So I was seeing it from both sides. She's fine now, by the way. Wow. Uh, Yeah, I know. Um, I also was studying officers, police officers, evicting families from their homes. I did a ride-along one day just as part of that. Uh, uh, I was present for 20 different evictions, wearing the bulletproof vest and so on, and the police car and so on. And so... I had been studying this topic. I also had years of research on people studying outside their cultural – I'm sorry, acting outside their cultural comfort zones. And then when I proposed this new idea of the book that I'm going to talk about today, Reach, I I started conducting a whole new series of interviews with people from across professions. So, you know, executives and managers and entrepreneurs, but also, uh, you know, teachers and students and baristas and rabbis and priests and even a goat farmer. So like I really wanted to, I wanted to go super broad with it to really understand across professions, across contexts, what the challenges are in stepping outside your uh, comfort zone. And so that's, that's where I come to it from. And you know, I, people know this. Like, I struggle with this, but I think everyone struggles with it. It's why you wrote the book. And we tend to think that it's only us. I, and I find that once you open up a little bit, other people will admit if it's not that same thing they're dealing with, it's something else. Is that something you came across in your research? Oh, absolutely. And for myself, too, frankly. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I was also, and I'm in the, as you know, I'm in the book, too. <laughs> right. know, like, like, I, that's the irony, of course. You know, I'm writing this book about, at, how, you know, how to act outside your comfort zone. And, you know, maybe you'd presume that I'm like so great at it. I'm not. I, I'm the same as everyone else. I, I struggled, gosh, in so many ways. You know, when I first stepped into a classroom to teach 15 years ago, I felt like such an imposter, like a complete imposter. Mm. I was afraid of public speaking. I was that person in college who would sit in the back of the room, you know, with my heart beating, like out of my chest, my cheeks flushed every time I started to think about saying something. I, wow. I didn't say any, anything essentially my whole college career, you know, and so on. And I, you know, when I, when I talk to people, um, it, it is interesting. I think you're right. People, you know, the re- and I think the reason is, is that 
we are we're intimately familiar with our own private struggles but oftentimes we're just sort of observing other people's highlight reels like we're seeing all the great things people do let's say and in in we don't have access into their inner worlds necessarily and so that was that's another reason I wanted to write the book and you know it's not just regular people folks like us it's it's there's a lot of famous people I talk about in the book and you know I don't do that to try to you know make the topic sexy or anything I I, I honestly do it for the for this reason to kind of normalize it you know you know emma watson adele warren buffett natalie portman hugh grant gandhi you know all these people struggle with this wow well then okay i have a number of questions but i just want to hear some of those what's your favorite uh story regarding a famous person on this topic gosh there's so many of them um so you know Natalie Portman um she she was a student at harvard an undergraduate student after she had you know gotten into the acting field and was very well known. And, and you'd think that she would just sort of sail into Harvard and I don't know, maybe be concerned about her celebrity and about people like trying to get to know her for instrumental reasons and so on. But no, her greatest challenge was actually the, the, the imposter syndrome. She felt like she was an imposter. She, she looked around and she thought like, who am I? I'm just this dumb actress. People must think I'm just this dumb actress. You know, who am I to be a student at Harvard? Um, and the, I guess the reason that I bring that one up is because she then returned 10 years later um, uh, to give a speech at the commencement at the commencement at Harvard. And it's online. You can you can see it. Um, it's on YouTube. And it's a really, really stirring speech. It's really, really heartfelt speech. And, and I think that's just such a really interesting example because she felt it, she struggled with it, and then she ultimately came back to talk about it, to kind of pay it forward. Um, so I imagine that many of those students in the audience were feeling the same thing. You know, I've had this kind of theory for a long time, even prior to talking with you or reading the book or anything, that the amount of times we have to step outside our comfort zone now is greater than any time in history simply due to the fact that the more connections we have, the more global our economy is and our lives are, the more connected we are, then the more we have to do things that we aren't evolutionarily prepared for. And then I started thinking, I don't know if that's true, because imagine if you were, you know, trying to discover new lands or all that. Do you have any thoughts in terms of our evolutionary, uh, you know, history and, and progress in terms of going outside of our comfort zone? It's a good question. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know evolutionarily. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting question. I, I do know that, that I think there's a statistic that says that adults in the United States change jobs 11 times during their lifetime or mm. something, something like that. You know, we're constantly, you know, think about all the transitions we make from, from um, kids, from from elementary school to middle school, that's a big one. Uh, from middle school to high school, from high school to college, from college to the real world, stepping into these jobs, into these tasks, into these responsibilities, and then you move up in your career, and you you know you 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 were you were a solo performer, and then now you're a manager, and you have to manage people, and you know deliver bad news, and create a vision, and have you know deal with conflictual conversations and 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 then now in the world today with our you know you know new administration in the United States I you know these the the rallies that you're seeing and unprecedented at least in my lifetime observing levels of 
political activism among people who have never, ever done anything political. I think there was a statistic about that recently. That is stepping outside your comfort zone. I think that, you know, people talk in business about there's an acronym called VUCA, V-U-C-A, um, volatile, uncertain, chaotic, and I always forget the A. <laughs> but you, you get the point. Sure. You know, in these times, I think it is right now we're living in a time where people are constantly, um, you know, to grow, learn, develop, um, achieve our goals and objectives. We do have to step outside our comfort zone. So that's that, that's another reason why I wrote this book um, to to give people. Um, a real solid understanding of the challenges and a research-based but also very user-friendly way um, of overcoming them. Because here is my question or thought behind, even from an evolutionary perspective or just historical, why is it so hard? Like, we have to do it. We've probably always had to do it. If you believe in the whole, you have to, you know, changing it better from, again, from historical times— why is it ingrained in us is part of our brain? Maybe it's the fear mechanism, you know, feel free to touch on that. But why is it so hard? I wish it was just something like a chameleon. You just change your colors and you keep going and it's natural. And then life would feel a lot easier all the time. Well, I think there's probably variability among different personalities too. You know, people who are more risk seeking, people who are more open to experience, people who are less neurotic and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. You know, you could probably pick out a prototypical personality type, someone who's, you know, maybe like um, extremely emotional stable and v- emotionally stable and very open to experience. And I suspect that that type of person would be less prone to the sort of self-threats that accompany, you know, the idea of acting outside your comfort zone. But, you know, for so many of us who don't necessarily have that personality type i think it's i think it's hard very hard bordering on very hard depending on the circumstance and i also think that a lot of us have you know the autonomy in our lives um for various reasons uh to sort of craft our experience sort of craft away these challenging situations you know what i mean like like we we, if if something if we're afraid of public speaking we we simply don't do it we simply don't pursue it we craft it out of our lives if we're afraid of networking events we rationalize to ourselves that they're not that important or maybe we gravitate towards jobs or tasks or roles that don't have that even though we for, from a growth and development standpoint, it might, might actually be a really good idea for us to do that. So, you know, it's a, uh, the evolutionary question is really interesting one. I haven't thought much about it, but, you know, I think that I, I'd imagine for certain personality, there, there's got to be variance in the population across personality types. Yeah, that's that's a great point, actually. I, I see what you're saying. It's totally dependent on because I always wonder there's people out there who just seemingly don't have these issues and I know some do and some don't I've always said sometimes I wish I was really ignorant because then uh, I don't think I'd assess the situation so much and worry about everything that's going on around me and you mentioned something there you said self-threats and what I want to get into that because to me off the bat it really says that the reason 
stepping outside our comfort zone is difficult is solely because of the vision and the sense of self that we have and something being a threat to that. Could you kind of give us your definition and how you came to that? Sure. So, you know, as I said, I I studied people across so many different contexts and so many different circumstances. When I say study, I meant I interviewed them in real depth about their experiences. And not only interviewed them, I also I also um, have a bit of a learning laboratory um, at my university. So I'm a professor at Brandeis uh, University in Boston, and I've created an MBA class where I have students, MBA students, go off and actually try things outside their comfort zones. And then they keep a diary of their experiences. Um, we learn from each other. We apply some of the tools that I, that I talk about in the book, and then they go off and do it again. And it's a fantastic opportunity for me to see these things firsthand in terms of self-threats. And so what I've noticed and what I've realized from you know, doing all this work is that there, I don't know if this is what you'd like to get into, but I found five core self-threats, essentially five, five I call them psychological roadblocks that we face when when stepping outside our comfort zone. Is that is that what you'd like me to discuss or Yeah, I definitely want to get into the five challenges. But the first yeah. thing I'm wondering is this idea of self-threats, I guess, is it true that the main thing that makes us uncomfortable doing the uncomfortable is because how am I trying to phrase this question? It's what what is it about these events that make it so uncomfortable for us. And if, if it's those five challenges, great. If you've seen something else or a larger kind of picture, just wondering what, what that is, why are these things uncomfortable in the first place? Why do we feel them as this personality type that feels them? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. You mean what's, what's below the, the threats? Is that what you're asking? What, what's, um, what's underlying these threats? In yeah. A sense? Yeah. I just don't understand why we can't see change and be like, cool, let's do it. You know, there's something there we must be protecting or guarding or, uh, trying to really stop from happening. Why is this change or this newness so difficult? And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients make a real difference, so it's important to know where your food comes from. Thankfully, for less than $10 per person, per meal, Blue Apron delivers easy-to-follow recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients, courtesy of over 150 local farms, ranches, and fisheries across the United States, right to your door. And because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, there's no food waste. It's everything you need to make sustainable and delicious home-cooked meals in 40 minutes or less. Listen up to just some of the amazing meals available now. Cashew chicken stir-fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice. Udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs. Roasted pork with apple, walnut, farro salad. And crispy barramundi with quinoa and roasted carrot salad. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash smart people. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash smart people. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And now back to the episode. Well, you know... I think it, I think it, 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 of course depends because once you have, 
and as I talk about in the book, once you're able to recognize these self-threats, um, try to apply some of the tools that I talk about as well to make it feel more palatable, and then to actually go off and do it and probably realize it's not as bad as you thought, probably realize that you're more capable than you thought, and then you try it again, I think that these things diminish. And then you're getting into a point where you just describe, why can't we just go off and do it and feel okay about it? Well, ultimately, you actually very well might be able to get there. Mm. But initially, initially, your, your, your sense of self is vulnerable, I think, in these situations. For these types of folks, like, like basically most of us, I think your sense of self is vulnerable in these situations. I, and I think that the, I think the anticipated fear, the fear of anticipated anxiety, anticipated worry and anticipation of these threats is extremely powerful. Like think to yourself, anyone out there who has kids, um, you know, what it's like to go get a shot. If when you bring your kid into the doctor's office to, take, to, to get a, to get a blood test or a shot, the anticipated worry is in, it can be acute, intense. I mean, I know my kids will, you know, not want to go. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. very fearful. I was like that too. But, you know, and then you, then, then you have that shot and it takes about like, you know, a 10th of a second and you're like, wait, is it over? <laughs> exactly. You, you realize you're much more capable, but you know, I think in anticipation, um, I think in, in anticipation, the worry can be intense because worry and anxiety is about predicting and rehearsing the future, right? Uh-huh. And we don't have evidence when we're predicting and rehearsing the future from the standpoint of the past, from the standpoint of not actually going into the situation and maybe realizing our strengths. When we're doing that from outside that context, I think the anticipated fear, rehearsing that future, uh, I think we're very vulnerable. Okay. That is fantastic. Do you have um, solutions to that anticipation? And if so, I want to get into that after we discuss the challenges. But I don't want to leave a teaser if you don't even have solutions for it. Well, my my solutions are exactly what I talk about in the book. So okay. we can talk about that. I mean, perhaps I could give a sense of what the different threats are, and then we could talk about... Um, what I found, the ways that people ultimately did cope with the anticipation yeah. of these threats. You okay. know what I mean? Because yeah. there's a lot you can do. No, I and I really want to get into the prescriptive stuff because really I found the five challenges and then the three C's to be just fantastic. And I, I want to get to that. Before we do, I have a question. You mentioned this MBA class you teach. Have you found any commonalities, things that continue to come up about this is what people judge as uncomfortable. You mean types of situations? Yeah, types of situations. Uh, I <clears throat> small talk's a big one. Making small talk with people you don't know. Mm. Networking is a big one, mm. which is sort of like the double whammy of small talk and self promotion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you know both of those together. Speaking up of of many varieties. Speaking up in class. Speaking up in a meeting. Speaking up to your boss. Um, I find that public speaking, sort of that genre, um, being assertive, sort of speaking your voice, which is sort of like an element of speaking up. Those are, I think those are probably among the most common examples that I get from MBA students. Um, oh, delivering bad news, I would say is another one. Mm. Now, now MBA students aren't firing and laying off each other, but delivering bad news in sort of a social slash professional context is another one. So those, I would say those are the most common ones. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Perfect. Because then you want to say, okay, you know, what is it about them? And that is your five challenges. So tell us about these five key challenges that uh, really 
underlie our avoidance tendencies? Sure. So the first one's authenticity, um, the the threat to feeling uh, authentic, in other words. So the feeling that, you know, I'm stepping into a situation and I'm not going to feel like myself or this doesn't feel like me. Um, so I, you know, uh, just to give a, an example, um, you're, a, you're a young entrepreneur um, and you've got to go in front of older, more experienced venture capitalists and you've got to pitch your business to try to get money. And I talk with so many different entrepreneurs. This is just one example where they they felt they had to like, you know, put on a suit when they never put on a suit, put on the, like put, put on their grown up voice, like their pretend, gr- yes. almost like pretend grown up voice to pitch to these venture capitalists, you know, sort of like in a shark tank type situation. And they felt deeply inauthentic doing it. I mean, so many examples of people feeling inauthentic. I remember how inauthentic I felt stepping into a classroom to teach for the very first time, having people call me professor. Like what? Me? Like I remember someone said it and I like looked around like I thought someone was behind me, you know, like uh, so. So, you know, I think feeling inauthentic is a big one. Um, And a second threat uh, that people experience is the threat to their likability, worrying someone will not like this version of myself when I'm stepping outside my comfort zone. It's, it can be, it can feel psychologically precarious to step into a new role, you know, to be the person who's delivering the bad news. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified they're going to hate me. Um, I opened the book actually with a story of an entrepreneur, young entrepreneur who had to fire her best friend from her startup. Um, she was, terrified she would she would she that the other person would hate her um i i also tell a story in the book i mean there are many examples another story is 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 a woman who um who uh after a long time realized she had to stand up to this jerk who was essentially uh, demeaning her in front of clients at work and 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 she she <laughs> she knew she had to do it she knew she wanted to do it but she was afraid he would hate her if she, if she told him off, and of course it's almost like illogical because he's the hateful one, um, but but she she was afraid she he wouldn't like her, and 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 so likability wow. um, is another self threat. A third self threat is competence um, that 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 I'm going to be bad at this, and frankly that 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 other people will see me as bad at this, you know whatever it might be. I'll I'll, I'll look like a fool giving a public speech. I'll feel like a fool. Um, you know, and the authenticity and competence combination is sort of a vicious cocktail too, because that creates the imposter syndrome. That, like, you know, I feel like an imposter stepping into this new role, stepping outside my comfort zone in this situation. Um, another one is a uh, fourth is resentment. Now, not everyone experiences this, but I absolutely saw examples of this. Like, why do I have to do this? You know, like my form of behavior, my normal, typical way of acting is frankly just fine. And I, I, I'm resentful that I have to step outside my comfort zone in this situation. And, you know, and certain people in certain circumstances can, can certainly feel that. And then the last one's morality, you know, again, not in all situations, but there are absolutely certain situations that I observed that I heard about where people felt uh, a conflict, um, a a potential self-threat with their morality. Uh, you know, the example of firing your best friend or, um, I, I talk with uh, business owners who who would um, maybe they're they they only have a couple months left of funding for their company uh, and they really know that to succeed they have to hire the very best people but the problem is is that they feel guilty they feel almost immoral not telling these new hires the whole truth in other words that they only have two months of guaranteed funding because if they did they wouldn't get them to join the company and you know we often don't tell the whole truth 
to people when 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 they join our company or I don't know when you're dating right. let's say on a first date you don't tell the <laughs> whole truth but you know people felt some ethical pangs in those situations I'll tell you one other quick story about morality um, that's in the book too I, I spoke with a booker uh, a booker at a national TV show and a booker's job is to hire is to is to get um, guests. Uh, to, to be on the network, you know, and, and there were cases like a national tragedy, tragedy, like an airplane crash, let's say, and, and, and her job was to get the family of the victim in, in on the air. And she had to be first, she had to beat all the other networks and, you know, being pushy in that way and calling the family in their time of, you know, grief. And I mean, she felt, you can imagine, awful. Awful, awful, and and frankly, she she left the job because of this ultimately. But so so auth- these are the threats: authenticity, likability, competence, resentment, morality, and you know we're not going to feel all these in every situation. But even one of them can make stepping outside your comfort zone tough, and more than one, even tougher. So those are fantastic. And as I read these, I was just like, he's in my brain. Okay, it's really it's kind of creepy. And so, did you come to these through? Because you said you're heavy on research, you went, you learned about all these experiences that people have, and you saw the the uh, commonalities. You saw these things keep popping up. Is that how exactly. this? Okay, it, it, exactly. It's you know across, and that's why I wanted to go broad in terms of contexts, in terms of people, in terms of situations. I didn't want to write a book only about entrepreneurs pitching their products, or only about bookers at TV shows booking guests, or only about managers delivering bad news or anything. I wanted it. I wanted to look across situations, across people, across contexts, across, you know, domains of our life, professional, personal. And in, 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 this is what emerged. And I'm so glad you did because I'm really sick of everything being all the research or all of the thought leadership coming based on coming off of simply entrepreneurship. Well, here's what entrepreneurs did. Here's what successful business people did. It's like, that's not the determining factor of success, at least in my book and in most people. So I love the fact that you incorporated all of these different scenarios and then came to the magic kind of ending, which is how do we deal with those? How do we deal with these five uh, challenges that are real and are human? Yeah. Um, so, so, so again, uh, looking across all these contexts and yeah, definitely not just entrepreneurs. I spoke with rabbis and priests, right? And, you know, I yeah. spoke with all sorts of goat farmers, as I said before, yeah. you know, stay at home moms who were, you know, who are terrified to step back into the workplace. So all sorts of situations. Um, here's what I, so w- what I found in terms of doing it successfully, I, 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 f- I found three core things and I, 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 I name them all with the letter C and I know, you know, that sounds a little cheesy, but I guess cheesy has a C too, but, the, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, my point to be honest is my, I am so all about giving people tools that they can use. You know, when you, I want people who read this book to be able to pick it up and use it and apply it immediately to their lives. So that's why, you know, I I wanted to be very user friendly. So, so in terms of what it takes to do successfully, number one is conviction. And this was absolutely true across all these contexts. And what I mean by conviction is having a deep sense of purpose in what you're doing and why, you know, this thing that you're trying to do, that's a reach that's, that's stepping outside your comfort zone. It's an antidote to avoid. It's, it's almost like giving you psychological permission to do it. It doesn't erase the discomfort, but it gives you that motivation, that drive, that sense of purpose to act despite 
the discomfort. In other words, like where every bone in your body psychologically is telling you no, you know, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm feeling all these threats we talked about before. But, but this wind at your back says, you know what? I'm still going to go for it. And, you know, that can, that can come from so many different places, and it's very personal. You know, for some, it's, you know, it's the necessary thing for me to do. I, I just have to do this. For others, it might be about, you know, self-esteem. I know this will make me feel good about myself. Or for others, it's about helping people. You know, th- this is hard for me, but I know if I do this, I'll have a chance to help other people. You know, whatever it might be, locating and embracing your source of conviction is essential. So that's number one. <clears throat> number two is customization. And this was super cool. Like I have to tell you, this was something that I started to see and I got so excited about it because you saw it all over the place. And then once my eyes were open to it, I just, you know, I saw it everywhere. And that's the idea that in these situations outside our comfort zones, we can often feel powerless, I think, helpless even. Because, you know, these are hard situations, but, you know, kind of everyday acts of courage in some way. But What I found is that people actually had a tremendous amount of ability to customize or tweak or personalize these situations and these actions in ways that are to make it just a little bit more comfortable for them. And if you can make it just a little bit more comfortable, it increases the odds you'll actually try it. So for instance, people change their body language. They customize that. They customized their language. They sort of maybe in certain circumstances used a certain word or didn't use a certain word or scripted out a first few first sentence or, or didn't. Some people uh, played with the timing a little bit. So for instance, if you were terrified of these big, loud, in, um, intimidating networking events, maybe you're, you're introverted, maybe you're awkward, you know, you can play with time. It, you know, at the very beginning of a very large networking event, it's less large. It's less intimidating. You know, you can go at the very beginning. I do that, frankly. And it's 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 a much it's sort of a more cozy atmosphere, frankly, at the very beginning. Or you can bring a friend. Or if you're afraid of making small talk in a social situation, I have one student who brings a prop, just like you'd bring a prop on stage. She brings a selfie stick. I love that example. Wow. Uh, and, and that it, just starts the combo? Exactly. <laughs> Plus, it also enables her to gather, you know, email or Snapchat or whatever it is, addresses, and it furthers the interaction after the fact. Mm. I know people who wear power suits, wear lucky charms, have a special ring or whatever it is, like certain little, these are like little private props that means a lot to them, but that aren't immediately obvious to others in the room. The point here is that just like you customize your latte and your cappuccino (laughs) in the morning, you know, with a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you can do the same thing in these situations. You'd be surprised at how much of a difference it makes. So that's the second thing. So you've got, um, you've got a conviction, you've got customization. Then the last one is clarity. I, I think in scary situations, uncomfortable situations, we have the tendency to fall off the deep end psychologically. You know, we catastrophize. We, you know, think this is, you know, think of our worst self, our worst case scenarios, or sometimes actually even the best case, like the unrealistic best case scenario. Like I'm, I'm not doing any public speaking unless I'm a prodigy, you know? And, and so I think I find it critical for people to find some sort of 
psychological middle ground in these very difficult situations. In other words, let's say we're talking about public speaking to, 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 to come to a point where they can say to themselves, honestly, you know what? I'm probably not going to be a prodigy. And you know what? I'm probably not going to be an utter failure either. I'll, I'll probably do okay. I might stumble, but I'll definitely learn something. And you know what? If I try it now, I'll bet you the second time will be better. You know, some sort of middle ground psychologically I found was really key in these situations. So you've got conviction, you've got customization, and you've got clarity. And I saw it across all these contexts. We're going to take a quick break from the show to tell you how you can help out the show by filling out a short survey for us. We love having great advertisers support our show, but in order to continue doing that, we need your help. So please go to podsurvey.com smart and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you a little better. Again, that's podsurvey.com smart. By having our listeners take this survey, we can show advertisers just how great you are. Even if you've taken our show's listener survey before, this current one is new and different, so I'd really love for you to take it all over again. And just like last time, once you've completed the survey, you can enter to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Chris and I are just asking for a few minutes of your time. Please head over to podsurvey.com smart. That's podsurvey.com S-M-A-R-T. Take the survey, and thanks again for all your help and support. And now back to the episode. First of all, thank you for going through those. Uh, I know it's a mouthful, and you're probably like, Whew, okay, I got it out there, even though you talk <laughs> about this all day long. Let's go through the three Cs. First of all, how did you come to those? Because I understand finding the avoidance tendencies, but to come to the solutions, you must have found people who are good at the uncomfortable and then ask them their solutions? That's just my guess. So interviews are obviously retrospective, right? Mm, so you're talking, yeah. so I asked people, I asked people, um, you know, to, to recount situations where it was, where it was really, you know, so where they had to step outside their comfort zone. And I asked them to talk about situations where it didn't work as well. And also where it did work, did work particularly well. And being able to sort of unearth and unpack the difference between those situations was key. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I could see that in the situations where they said it did go well, I could see hints of these things. I also, um, I also did research, uh, pretty intensive research, on people stepping outside their cultural comfort zones, as I described earlier, and also those cases of doctors and police officers and managers. And that was a multi-year research project where we were deeply, deeply analyzing these folks, and also both retrospectively with interviews and in real time, as I mentioned, like with the officers when I did the ride-along and so on. And then adding that to the learning laboratory that I described, where I have students, MBA students who are stepping outside their comfort zones, write diaries on an ongoing basis so I can longitudinally see this, you know, in sort of minute detail. And then, frankly, this, by the way, is where science blends to art. You know, it's, it's, sure. it's, um, it's where you have to, it's, it's qualitative inductive research where you, where you see patterns, you, um, start to notice differences. You start to notice, um, 
tools that people are using. You consolidate into similar, you know, consolidate similar tools into a overar- overarching category and so on. And this is how research gets done. And, and that's what I found. So that, that was basically the process. So in your MBA class, which I keep going back to because I'm fascinated by it, just the whole thing about stepping outside of your comfort zone. Um, I'm assuming you teach these uh, ways of diminishing the uh, uncomfortable aspect or do you tell your students this? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so, so they have to go off and do it um, three times during, during our time together. They also have to find a mentor, someone to help them um, give them, give them feedback, help them. In many cases, they need to actually understand the rules of the road as well. Like how exactly do I do this? Right. And we, we work on that first before we send them off. Hmm. Um, they go off they write a very structured diary about it with very specific questions to kind of get at a lot of these challenges. We come back in class, we discuss it. I present some of the ideas from the book. And frankly, to be honest, I was teaching this class as I was originally, as I was coming up with some of these ideas. So sure. the, the current the current batch of students definitely gets more concrete advice than the batch of students five years ago. Right. Right. <laughs> but it was, a, it was, that was a bit of a necessity for me to really dive in and immerse myself to try to understand how this was all working. And now I very explicitly teach them about, about these tools. I give them opportunities to brainstorm individually in groups and pairs about how they might apply. How can they sort of find their source of conviction and so on. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Well, actually you kind of led me right into this because one of the things I, I did want to get specific on one and I was thinking conviction, do you have any, uh, tips or tools or kind of things you, you advise on here's how to really come up with that strong conviction, which will help you move through it? Because to be honest, that makes sense from a just let's talk about it. We're having a conversation. Oh, you know, tell yourself why you're there. And then, but when you actually get presented with a situation that puts you into your fight flight or, you know, uh, freeze mentality, it's a lot harder than just, well, I feel convicted. So I'm going to break through anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, no question. So, so, um, at the, in, this is exactly why at the very end of the book, which is, I think it's part four, it's after, it's sort of like an epilogue to the book. I have very specific, concrete tools that people can use, you know, like almost like a workbook to apply to your exact situation. So you think of a situation, now you've read the book, you've considered the stories, you've learned the tips, the tools, and now you can apply them to your situation in your life with some very concrete guiding questions to try to unlock your own personal sources of conviction. So for instance, one, uh, I'm, to be honest, I'm looking now in the book because just to yeah, remember the I have it in front of me too, actually. Yeah. Yes. So for example, you know, on a scale of one to five, um, you know, let's, let's look at, let's look at the possibility that respect might be an important source of conviction for you, that stepping outside your comfort zone in this situation could potentially bring you a feeling of respect. So it asks you questions, you know, doing this behavior will make me look good in other people's eyes. To what extent do I believe that on a one to five scale or doing this behavior will win people's respect uh, or a person or a particular person's respect and so on. And so I have very concrete tools and then you actually can create a score for these. So it's a way of kind of quantifying, not in like a hardcore quantifying way, but it's a tool with a quantifiable element 
to it to help people make sense uh, of in, in, in sort of unpack their own potential sources of conviction. And I do this for all the tools and all the self-threats, too. You so do. That's, I, yeah. And it's a great section in the back there. I really recommend it. One thing, actually, on this conviction, I had a note, you know, when I went through it. So I have the author on the line. Might as well ask him, right? So you have this beautiful setup to uh, unlocking your sources of personal conviction. And it's basically ask yourself this question. If you didn't experience any anxiety at all in this situation, if it were completely comfortable and stress-free, would it be something you would like to be able to do? Would it be exciting? Would it help you, et cetera? And I love that because right there, you're saying, okay, you want to create some conviction. If this was easy as pie and you were great at it, you know, do you want to do it? Okay, you have to work towards it. So that's a good step. But let me give you a, uh, a thought. I want to hear what you say about this. Say you go through it and you say, yes, that would be exciting, right? And you do it once. You do this thing one time and you got through it. It went well, but the uncomfortable emotions that come up still make you question if you want it to be part of your future. Does that make sense? So, so say, yeah. like, does that make sense? So say you're using the networking example, you're like, okay, if I could network, it'd be great, but it's terrifying. I'm going to do it anyways. You do it once and then you go, okay, I still didn't like it. You know, like it's hard to determine when you feel like it's worth it. If it's always uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. You know, it's, it's, um, in the throes of trying, you know, and, and it, it differs by situation, it differs by person. Pe very few people, I think, go from zero to 60. In other words, from like total discomfort to feeling like, oh my gosh, this is me. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's very, it's very rare that you, that, that, that happens, you know, it's a process, you know? And so even while you're, um, sort of like medicine, you know what I mean? It's the medicine doesn't taste that great, but you know that it's going to help you get better. Mm. It, you know, it, it, in some ways for networking, for instance, it could still feel icky. To be honest, I still feel that way doing networking, right. but but I know I know that 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 it's a critical skill for me to have because I know that people that I have met by putting myself out there, they have they have given me all sorts of great opportunities. I've had interesting conversations. It's it's it, it's it's advanced me personally and professionally, despite the fact that I you know I get this massive stomach ache whenever I consider going in. So I'm still not feeling great about it. Mm. But I know, but I know at the same time, stepping away, that it's actually really important for me, for my career, for my skill development, and frankly, for me to feel good about myself. Do you know what I mean? I do. Like I want to. I, so, so, so it doesn't, I don't think that the, I don't think that the feeling that this doesn't feel good sort of necessarily discounts all the other potential benefits. Do you know sure. what I mean? I do very much so. I think at the core of it, that's the whole thing about, uh, being comfortable and being uncomfortable at the end of the day, for the most part, it's a feeling. And if you can push past it constantly utilizing these tools, then Hopefully, and most likely, you'll come out on the other end a better person, a new person, you know, having grown and with more opportunity. And can I say, say one other thing is that yeah. I, and this this is one of the reasons that 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 uh, sort of living laboratory type of experience was so cool for me, because I do see people who who start being 
so I see people who are terrified of something and frankly, they don't make a tremendous amount of progress in terms of like, they still feel bad about doing whatever it is, but they, but they, they're starting to nudge their way out of their comfort zone. They see where their threats come from. They start to develop some tools and they see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. And then I have many, then I have many other people where it's even more of a profound change. I've seen people who are terrified of networking, terrified of making small talk, very uncomfortable pitching and promoting themselves or speaking up at meetings and so on, who who not only start to develop an understanding of where their sort of threats come from, what the psychological roadblocks are, and, and, and they're, they're not, it's not only the fact that they feel uncomfortable, but they're still willing to keep trying, but they actually come out on the other end and they start to appreciate and, and to be honest, actually in some ways even enjoy it. Uh, things that, that just earlier, um, I don't know, maybe like multiple months earlier were terrifying for them. And that's, that's actually a really cool um, sort of added bonus of the diary because I know some people who are like, no way, I didn't yeah. feel that way. <laughs> and then they look back and I'm like, nope, you did. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I so do. I, th- I think that's pretty cool. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that's great. And, and I really do. I recommend the book for all those reasons and more. I mean, the stories are great. The workbook part at the end, really helpful. Again, the book is Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge and build confidence. Andy, you mentioned, I think before we were recording, you write in a lot of places, but what's the, you know, where can people read more about what you're doing? It's fascinating material. I mean, is it, is it these, uh, these places you write, your website, social, let us know. Yeah, sure. So in, in hopefully in the show notes, you might provide links, but oh, the, yeah. uh, yeah, cool. So, um, so yeah, so my website, which is w www.andymolinsky.com, A-N-D-Y-M-O-L-I-N-S-K-Y.com. That's got everything there. Um, I'm on, you know, please connect with me on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. I've got a public author Facebook. I post all sorts of cool stuff. And I, um, as I was telling Chris earlier, actually, before we started, mm-hmm. I'm also, I, I write very regularly for Harvard Business Review. I'm a columnist at Inc.com and Psychology Today and in, in all sorts of stuff. So, so I, I love to connect with readers and listeners and, and please reach out. Absolutely. Well, that was great. Andy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being on the show. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Okay. All take right. care. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Andy Malinsky. Andy's book, Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge, and build confidence can be found at your local bookstore and on Amazon. And as always, if you do decide to purchase the book through Amazon, please use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. All that shopping you do through the link comes at no extra cost to you and it genuinely helps out the show. If you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating, review, and comment over there, and subscribe if you haven't done so already. If you're looking to get in touch with the show, you can always reach us via email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. All right, I think that's it for this week. Please head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com, sign up for the newsletter, 
And if you haven't taken our advertiser survey, please head over to podsurvey.com smart. That's it for me this week. We've got some great episodes coming up and we will see you all next episode.